is confused. Is there a children's program today? Because uh, there's one next week. Is that's that's okay? I I, I didn't want to not have the program <laughs> if we were supposed to. I was I was uh, I thought okay, just in case. Today is Palm Sunday. I think everybody's figured that out by now. Uh, that's what we call it today. Uh, at the day that Palm Sunday happened, recognize. I mean, we have to recognize we have to shift things just a little bit because uh, their week Sunday or Saturday was the weekend. And Sunday was their Monday, right? So we call it Palm Sunday. They called it Monday, okay? I actually don't know what the Hebrew words. I tried to look them up, and I gave up trying it to decide it wasn't important. But, but uh, uh, it might help us to understand the priest's reactions. When Jesus came into the temple and everybody's making all the guys, it's, it's morning, and they get up and they go, oh, on a Monday? <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, Monday. Uh, in my Bible, by the way, it doesn't say Palm Sunday. It says triumphal entry. And, and, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because that's not what we're talking about today. Because if we did, we'd go from triumphal entry today to the resurrection next Sunday. And we go from victory to victory without pointing out how the victory was won. And so today we're going to actually look at how the victory was won, not just what happens on Sundays. It's a dilemma I face every year. What do I do with Palm Sunday? Because uh, it's like I don't want to ignore Palm Sunday, but I don't want to ignore Easter week either. Uh, and so, and by the way, traditionally, most of you don't come to Good Friday service. <laughs> so I'm just going to say, shame on you. Come this week. No, it's no shame on you, but it'd be great to have you this week uh, at Good, Good Friday if you could be here. Uh, we're going to look at some of the not happy in between. Today we're going to look at what it meant that Jesus was the Lamb of God that was slain. So the first thing is that Jesus came in fulfillment of prophecy. And so we have, I'm going to first read, before I read Matthew 21, 1-9, which tells the story of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, I'm going to read Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And it's kind of handy because Zechariah is way towards the end of the uh, New T Old, Old Testament. And so we don't have to turn a whole lot to get to Matthew chapter 21. Zechariah verse 9 is going to sound very familiar when I read it. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. 9-9. Nine, nine. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You go, yeah, you're right. That does sound kind of familiar. I'll skip forward to Matthew chapter 21, uh, just a few pages to the right, and read verses 1 through 9, which gives the whole story. Or I should say, gives the story. I won't say the whole story because there's always more details. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with a donkey or with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks. He sat on them. Most of the crowd spread, 
their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the highest. And so we have Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry. entry. And the funny thing is, is the priests and the religious leaders should have recognized this. As this, as this was happening, they should have said, oh, that's what Zechariah said. I mean, when Jesus said that, told the prophets to do it, he told them, uh, this is to fulfill this, either that or Matthew was just filling in those blanks later on, uh, but, but he, Jesus knew he was fulfilling prophecy. They should have looked at that and said, wow, this is what Zechariah said, because, you know, these were the experts on, on, the, on the law. They're supposed to recognize these things. Sometimes people come to me, they'll say, hey, I read this in the newspaper. Do you think this is a fulfillment of prophecy? Which I think is a great thing to do, and, and theoretically, I'm supposed to have an answer for that, right? Uh, because I'm the, uh, it, whether I do know or don't know, I'm the guy that's supposed to know. Right? I'm supposed to be familiar enough with Scripture, and, and usually I'll look at it and say, well, I don't think so because, and I'll pull, pull, pull script to a passage and, and, and tell you what it does say, and then you go, okay, I see how that doesn't fit, or I'll say, you know, or I'll say I think I know where it is, or, or I'll, you know, I'll say, yeah, I think it could be because, right? and if I give an answer like because, and I can give Scripture with it, then you have reason to pay attention to it. Otherwise, you don't. But that's what that, these guys should have known. They're the ones who someone should have come and said, do you think he could be the Messiah? They should have said, well, it's possible because in Zechariah chapter 9, it says he comes gentle and riding on a donkey, a, a colt, a foal, the colt of a... Anyway, <laughs> you know, a baby donkey. <laughs> yeah, uh, you expect these guys to know. Uh, we, but there's an important principle here that by the fact that they didn't see that, and the principle is this, that you believe what you want to believe, and you don't believe what you don't want to believe. And so you see this happening, you see something happening, and it's a fulfillment of Scripture, and you don't want to believe it's a fulfillment of Scripture. You simply say, no, that's not a fulfillment of Scripture. And someone says, why? Well, because I don't think it is. Right? And, and you simply choose before you get there what you're going to believe or what you're not going to believe. And uh, <clears throat> we need to be able to overcome that. We need to not pre-believe or pre-disbelieve. We need to believe. Here's a, here's a stunning concept. Believe what is true, <laughs> right? Uh, not believe because we choose uh, it's something we want to believe or not believe because it's something we don't want to believe, but simply believe what is true is true and what is not true is not. It's, it's a wonderful thought. Uh, the interesting thing about this particular prophecy is that this is one that could easily be manipulated. I mean, the prophecy says he'll come riding on a... Uh, a I'm going to read it so I say it right. Um, yeah, yeah, it's like, he cares? Okay. Um, huh, uh, a colt, the fool of a beast of burden. That's the way it says there. I could go buy one, right? I, I could go buy one and ride that, I was going to say puppy, donkey, <laughs> into Jerusalem. I could do that. I could manipulate that particular prophecy. Jesus could have done that too. What did he say? He said, go down into the city and get this thing because I'm going to fulfill prophecy. Right? And they went down, they got it, and he wrote and he fulfilled prophecy. It could have been a manipulated prophecy. Other prophecies can't be manipulated, right? That he would be of the line of David. You can't manipulate that one. You either are or you're not. That he would be born in Bethlehem. You can't manipulate. He either is or he isn't. But, but this one could be. It's like, of all of them, if you wanted to not be impressed by a prophecy, this would be the one. The, the thing is, is, is that... Uh, by the time we see this, in addition to all the others, we go, wow, it's obvious this is Jesus. Uh, the others are, there are other prophecies that could 
not be manipulated that are being fulfilled. And one of those is what we're going to focus on today. And, and so if you'd like to turn back to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is one of the most powerful passages in the entire Bible. Uh, it actually starts in 52, uh, 12, 52, 11, somewhere like, I'm sorry, 52, 13. I'm not going to go back that far just because of time. I, I sat there and I just fought with myself because I, I wanted to give, it's, it's hard not to give this whole passage, but it's, you can't give the whole passage. Uh, but Isaiah 53, we have the prophesied suffering Messiah, the Lamb of God. Uh, and uh, let me read for you just verses 4 through 11 of Isaiah chapter 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers, shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. First of all, he took our pain. Four to six, he took our pain. It was our pain. He took it. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Right? He bore our griefs and our sorrows. You, you do something wrong and you suffer for it. We're all familiar with that. You know, you get caught doing something bad. You have to pay a price for it. You're getting what you deserve. You know you're getting what you deserve. You have it coming. And, and, and then there are the things that we do and we don't get caught. Right? And we think we got away with it, right? I remember telling my mom when I was 30 about a time I stole a candy bar when I was 13, thinking, this is water under the bridge. There will be no penalty for this. <laughs> I found out my mother was still my mother. <laughs> and, and I got in trouble. And I'm sitting here going, I didn't see that coming. I thought I got away with that. You know what? Here's the reality. You actually never get away with anything. You never get away with anything. All those things in your life that you have gotten away with, all those things that you did not get caught at, you are caught at. You are caught. You just simply haven't had the day of reckoning yet. I'm so glad mom dealt with me that day because I don't have that one hanging over my head anymore. <laughs> I think I paid the full price for that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow. Okay, anyway. Uh, um, you, you don't ever actually get away in, with anything. God has a full account. God has a full account of everything you've done, and there will be a day of reckoning. Uh, the day is going to come when you will have to pay. He w but God, who has a full account, said, I cannot bear the thought of, of this one I love paying that price. So I will pay it 
on his behalf. Uh, If God does not bear your pain, then you will pay the full account of everything you have done. And and I I, I referred to an incident when I was 13 stealing a candy bar. I'm going to take a guess and say you've gotten away with bigger things than that. I'm going to take a guess and say you have unpaid debt to God. And it amounts to a lot more than a candy bar that in that day was probably 10 cents. Maybe a nickel, I don't know. Uh, The price will be there. But Jesus did it for us. I I don't know if we will ever be able to properly appreciate what Jesus did for us. I I don't know about you, but, but I've forgotten most of the sins I've done. You know, there are those few... You know, those, there are those few with the neon signs that, that you go, I'll never, I'm never going to forget that one. But most of our sins, we, you know, we've, done, we've done so many. You know, the first time you do something, you remember it. The, the, the first time you do something, you remember You remember your first car. You ask me, what, Steve, what was your fourth car? I can say, okay. It took me about three year, or two years to get to my fourth car because I kept wrecking them. You know? <laughs> and I can run through it and I can figure it out. But my first car, you say, hey, what was your first car? Well, I can just whip it out. Right? Because it was my first car. Right? The first house we lived in, little cracker box in Colorado Springs. We went back and saw it and we looked at it and we thought, we lived in that? <laughs> wow, I didn't know people could live in a place that small. But we did. And, and, uh, and you, but I remember it. I could tell you about it. I can just, you know, because it was the first one. But after that, they start to lose their luster. Not, like, house is a big, maybe too big a thing to be an example. You know, our sins that we have committed so often that we forget them, are on a ledger. And they, whether we forget them or not, they must be paid for. Jesus Christ did it. He, he did it for me personally. He said, Steve, I see what you have coming. And Steve, you're a frail little human being. You can't bear that price. But I will bear it for you. Jesus died on that cross. I mean, he did it for me personally. He did it for us universally. I mean, what he did personally for me, he did personally for you. And he did it personally for everybody on the planet. He did it personally and he did it universally for all of us, for each and every one of us. It's it's, how can we possibly imagine? I have not had to bear the consequences of my own sins. How can I possibly imagine what it meant for Jesus to bear all the actual consequences of all of our sins? How will we ever, and and, and I forget that we have eternity to think about it, to to learn more, to get to know him better, to understand reality and our own sinfulness more, how will we ever be able to grasp that? But then what does it say? Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. And you can say, well, no, I don't, I don't think I did that. I don't think I did that. Well, let's go back to the cross. Around the cross, there were some people who were faithful. Mary, the mother of Christ, was there. John, the beloved disciple, was there. Some of the other women were there. May, I think maybe some of the other disciples were there kind of in the area watching. There were some who were faithful who were there. There were many who were indifferent there. The Roman guards, for them, it was cross-duty on a Monday morning. You know, what a way to start the week. (laughs) 
you know, and, and for them it was duty. They were indifferent. They got to gamble for his clothes. Maybe they'd get a little something for their effort. But, but they were indifferent. They didn't care about this guy. He didn't mean anything to them one way or the other. They were indifferent. But, but most of the people who were there were there to mock. They were there to mock. They were there to call him names. They were there to see him suffer. And, and the mocking was enough that the thieves on the cross got in on it. And even though one of them later repented and said, don't you know that we deserve what you're, we're getting? But he doesn't. They, they both at one point were mocking Jesus from their own crosses. They're, essentially, their dying breaths, they were mocking Jesus. And they esteemed him smitten. Right? Well, if you were to draw yourself at the cross, right? We, there's a point, and hopefully... If, you know, we were talking in Sunday school about if I was only the artist, I wish I was. <laughs> but uh, hopefully, each one of us, if we were to draw ourselves at the cross now, we would be there with Mary. We would be there with John because we are there now by faith. But was there not a time when you would have drawn yourself differently? You wouldn't have wanted to admit you would have to draw yourself, but if you look at yourself now, was there not a time when you would have to draw yourself differently at the cross? where you were one of the guys nailing him to the cross or standing up the cross or gambling over his clothes or calling out names to him, saying, hey, you're so special, save yourself. Right? They, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. Verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We are like sheep who have gone astray. Our iniquity was laid on him. We're bad. He suffers. We sin. He's punished. And you just go, wow. What an, what an amazing Savior we have. The funny thing is, I mean, I just can't, you can't walk away as we're doing this and you're hearing this description of what Christ did and what his cross was and say, this was written 700 years before. This was written 700, we should have, they should have, I say we, they should have known. How did they not see this? We move on, he's like a lamb led to the slaughter. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He didn't complain. You know, think about, the, as you go through Jesus' life, and you think about, think about, just run through your mind and see if you can think of a time when he ever actually complained. You can see, because you can come up with when he was angry at the Pharisees, and he rebuked them, and he, he went off on them. You know, Matthew 21, he went off on them. He just said, you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You know, because you do this and because you do that. You whitewash tombs full of dead man's bones. And he, he just went off on them. Because they were leading people astray. They were leading people from God instead of to him. But he didn't go off and say, poor me. You never, you never find that. You can find him grieve over people and look out and grieve over them and say they are like sheep without a shepherd. And you can find that. And you can find him, him weeping over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have come to you, but you would not have me. Right? You can find that, but you can never hear Jesus say, Oy vey, <laughs> what a miserable life I have. 
You never hear him complain on his own account. You never hear him whining. You never hear him grumbling. He's like a sheep, like a lamb led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. He was hunted. Jesus went out. They were going to, it got too hot for him in Jerusalem, so they went out into the, the wilderness where they didn't know where they were. He came back when Lazarus died. But they went down there because he was hunted. They were looking for excuses to kill him. Why, did Ju- Why was Judas betrayed to betray- paid to betray Jesus? Because they didn't know where he was going at night. They needed someone to... They were hunting him. He was hunted. He was opposed. He was mocked. He had, what did he say? The birds of the air have their nests, the foxes have their holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He, 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 he didn't have anything. At one point, his own family thought he was mad. They came to take possession of him. They thought he was mad. And that's when he said, you know, who is my mother? Who who are my my brothers and my sisters? After his arrest, he was beaten repeatedly. He wasn't beaten. He was beaten repeatedly. He was mocked continuously. He was paraded around on display. But he never complained on his own account. He, He never did. Because this is what he came for. He did not come to serve himself. He did not come to bless himself. He did not come to take care of himself. He came to us like a lamb that is led to a slaughter or or a sheep before it shears. And what a contrast. We are like sheep who have gone astray, and he is the lamb of God, the sacrificial lamb of God. And you go, wow, there's, you know, because, you know, Robert was here last week, McDowell, and he was talking about his his sermon title, uh, Is the Lord Your Shepherd? (laughs) And, and that's an important question because we say we are sheep who have gone astray we need him to be the shepherd but he's not just the shepherd he's also the sacrificial lamb and he's dying for people that don't understand verses 8 and 9 by oppression and judgment he was taken away and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living stricken for the transgression of my people and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. He was dying for people who did not understand. They didn't understand what was going on. Who understood? Who understood at that point that he was being cut off of the transgression of his people? No one got it. No one understood. The greatest event of history was happening in front of their eyes, and they didn't know it. it was, they were there. They saw it. They thought a man was dying. <laughs> They didn't know the Lamb of God was paying for the sins of the entire world. They didn't know that all of history hinges on that focal point. They watched it. They didn't know what they were seeing. The the, the Roman soldiers, it was just another day of unpleasant duty. For the Jews, finally, we're getting rid of this nuisance. This guy who's been such a pain in the neck. And what a bother that it had to happen at the Passover. (laughs) Should that not have, at some point... You know, made somebody a little nervous as they thought about this passage and go, wow. Should not somebody have said, what did John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Should should not something about this have, have resonated with somebody? But the priest didn't get it. 
The apostles didn't get it. Mary didn't get it. Pilate didn't get it. Nobody understood. Nobody understood. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And, and as for his generation, who, it's a rhetorical question. Who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression by people? And the answer is nobody. Nobody considered that. They didn't see it. He's making the greatest sacrifice of all time, and nobody gets it. And even the fulfillment of the prophecy didn't make sense, or that didn't make sense. Because if you look at that verse, you know, that verse about the rich man and his death doesn't make any sense. I should say, it didn't make any sense until Jesus was put in a rich man's tomb. But that is the weirdest prophecy. L listen to this. And, and, and you may have to come back, because sometimes, you know, I, I know the, the, if I throw out something new, you might have to run over it later in your brain for, to make sense of this. But so, so remember this, verses 9 and 10, or 8 and 9, and take away the verse, or the part of the verse that says they made this grave with the wicked. And it makes perfect sense, right? By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. It flows perfectly. It makes sense. But when you throw in that part about being buried in a rich man's tomb, you go, why is that there? That doesn't fit. What does the rich man... I mean, it's saying two entirely different things, because the idea of being put in a rich man's tomb, that is a sign of blessing. And it's in the midst of all this about that he doesn't understand. And I think, I think God took a special pleasure in putting that line in there. Because it makes so much sense. He was, he was oppressed. Go, go through the, the list. You know, list off the items. He was oppressed. He was cut off. He was stricken. He was buried with the wicked, even though he had done no wrong. Right? Those are the basic points of the argument, if you take that verse out of there, that, that line out of there, about being put in a rich man's grave. It makes perfect sense to us with the knowledge of looking back. We say, well, it was to have that prophecy. I mean, it was fulfill the fulfillment of prophecy. But the thing is, what did the Pharisees want to do with Jesus' body? What would, if, if, that had, if, the, if Joseph of Arimathea had not stepped forward and said, I have a newly cut tomb that no one has ever been put in. Let's put him in that. If Joseph of Arimathea had not stepped forward and said that, Jesus would have been thrown in a pauper's grave along with the other crucified men. He would not have had this special treatment. He would have just been buried in a, in a communal pit. That's where he would have been buried. He, because he was, going, he was assigned the wicked with the dead, with, uh, burial with the wicked. But he was assigned burial with the wicked. He got a rich man's tomb. And it, it, there, there's an irony in this that, that uh, we don't want to miss. It makes perfect sense with, from our perspective. But he was buried in a rich man's tomb, and the fact that it made no sense but was fulfilled should have made it stand out from the page for anybody alive at that time. Those Pharisees, what did they do? They ran to Pilate and said, seal the tomb, because those apostles of his, they're going to try to steal the body. And we don't want them to be able to steal the body, so seal the tomb. If they understood that much, they should have also been understanding, wait a minute, how did he end up in a rich man's tomb? Wow. You know, we have this tremendous advantage of being Christians in the year 2019. Had to think for a minute. What year is it? <laughs> because we have the perspective of seeing the fulfillment. But they should have understood it just the same. They didn't understand what they were doing. They didn't understand the prophecy that described what they were doing. They fulfilled it because they didn't understand it or they would have done something about it. I want to tell you something. Blessed are you who understand. Blessed are you who understand, who hear this and you say, oh, wow. 
I see this. You know, if, if as I've been talking about these things, if as I've been talking about the crucifixion, and as I've been talking about the price Jesus paid, you're going, wow, I never knew this. I never heard this. I didn't understand that I am accountable for the things I've done. Then here's the good news. Jesus didn't do that for fun. He didn't do it because he had a mission. He did it because he loves you. And he wants to take your sin away. And if Jesus has not taken your sin away, all you have to do is say, Jesus, I accept the gift. Now, I say all. I'm not, I'm not making this a light or fluffy thing. To take, to take that and make it light and fluffy is to insult God. Okay? But that doesn't change the fact that he already paid because he wants you to have eternal life. He wants it that bad. That's how bad he wants you to have eternal life. Okay? So it's not like he'll turn you away. It's not like he'll say, no, no, everyone else. He, he wants it. There is a response. And interestingly, turn to the book of Revelation. Chapter 5. We're going to go from there to Philippians chapter 2. But Revelation chapter 5 is the response to the Lamb who was slain. And it is so awesome. I'll start at verse 6. See if that's what I have written down. Yeah. 6 through the end of the chapter. And between the throne and the four living creatures, I I just want to stop right there because I often have a picture when I hear between the throne and the four living creatures, somehow I picture, and it's a wrong picture, that he's tucked in beside the thrones. But that's not it. The four living creatures are before the throne and between them in front of the throne of God, right? Before the throne of God. That's where we see, see the Lamb. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne of the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and glory and blessing and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and the four living creatures said amen And the elders fell down and worshipped. (laughs) What is our response to Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain? What should it be? Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Have this mind among yourselves, 
which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What is your response to the Lamb who was slain? What should it be? We enter into Easter week, and today's Palm Sunday. We celebrate this glorious arrival in. The glorious thing is what happened during the week. The glorious thing. And I'm not going to say the resurrection was not glorious. <laughs> but the glorious thing is what happened at the cross. The lamb who was slain took away the sins of the world. He took away your sins. He took away mine. And we respond with praise to him. Let's bow and pray. Father God, I thank you and I praise you for what you have done for us. Lord Jesus Christ, that you loved us so much that you did that without hesitation, without complaining. That you loved us so much that you paid that price without a word of complaint. Jesus, I praise you, and I give you glory. And, and Lord Jesus, help me to truly worship you with my life the way I ought. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.